So we're glad you're here. We're going to divert from our study in the book of Colossians. And this morning, the Lord laid on my heart uh, Revelation chapter 2, if you'll turn there. And verses 1 through 7, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2. Many of you know that chapters 2 and 3 are the seven letters to the seven churches. In chapter 1, John, the last living apostle, is exiled to the island of Patmos. We know that at the end of the first century, Domitian, who is the emperor of Rome, that he began to persecute the church very, very heavily. And he, tradition says, would take John at that time, who was there in Ephesus. It is believed that he was pastoring the church at Ephesus. It is there that John would write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those epistles. But at the end of the first century, Domitian, he would take John. Domitian hated the Christians. He killed many of them. And tradition says that they put John in a pot of boiling oil there in the amphitheater in Ephesus, and, and, and it didn't hurt him. And Domitian cries out, banish him. So they banished him to that rocky island of Patmos. We know that is true because John here is riding from that island, being isolated. It's a hard, difficult place. And he hears the voice of many waters, and he turns to see the resurrected Lord. And in that vision of chapter 1, that here is Jesus standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. And each of those lampstands we know represents uh, the church, a church, seven literal churches in proconsular Asia that existed in the first century. And in chapters 2 and 3, what makes the book of Revelation... uh, very, very uh, unique and powerful. Uh, Sometimes we like to get to chapter 6 through 18 and look at all the prophetic things that took place. But chapters 2 and 3 are very, very important for us to consider because Jesus turns to each one of those churches and he writes a letter to them. And he begins with the church at Ephesus. The first service as we went through this, uh, uh, many people came to me and said, this really touched my heart and spoke to me. Because it applies to us as a church, Calvary Chapel. Ephesus, of course, we talked about the church at Ephesus, how Paul established that church on his third missionary journey in about 54, 55 A.D. And when he established the church at Ephesus, the whole city was given over to the gospel. And people were bringing their magic books, and they were bringing their occultic books voluntarily And they were getting rid of them. They were burning them. And we know that Ephesus, a major city of proconsular Asia, which today is Turkey, that the city was given over to the gospel. Great fruit uh, that Paul um, would experience through the message of the gospel. He was there for three years, longer than any other city on his missionary journeys. Two of those years, he would take those those disciples, those young men, uh, and he would train them and he would teach them at the school Tyrannus. It is there that many of them would go out and establish churches throughout Proconsular Asia. That is where believed that the Church of Colossae, which again will be back, looking at that letter that Paul wrote to them in his first imprisonment, was established, and these other churches that are here. But he, 
Ephesus was a major city of proconsular Asia. It would be at the end of chapter 19, of course, the silversmiths. There was the temple Artemis in the city of Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, it was a magnificent building, and there was a major port that was there. So the people of Ephesus, of Asia Minor, of, of all around, would come to the city to worship Diana, this goddess, this pagan goddess there at the temple. Well, what happened was because the word of the Lord, the gospel, uh, people getting saved had, had grown in the city of Ephesus. People stopped buying those little idols. The silversmiths, they would riot. They would drive Paul out of the city, and Paul would then go to Macedonia. We know that he writes from Macedonia, 2 Corinthians. And he would say that when we came out of Asia, we were pressed beyond measure. And he writes about the comfort of the Lord there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And also in chapter 7, that the comfort of the Lord came to us by the coming of Titus. He would take a collection from the churches in Greece there, and then he would go to Jerusalem. On his way to Jerusalem, he would stop at Miletus, Acts chapter 20, and he would address the Ephesian elders for the very last time. And he would say that, you know what manner of man I was among you in all seasons, how I held back nothing from you from house to house, that he was persecuted. He goes on and he says to them that the Holy Spirit has testified to me that chains and tribulations await me. But I don't count these things dear to myself, for I'm determined to finish my race with joy of the gospel that has been given to me. It's the ultimate pastor's conference there in Acts chapter 20. And he says that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. And he would also say that after my departure, I'm not going to see you guys anymore. The savage wolves are going to come in. And they're going to be drawing disciples after themselves and speaking perverse things. Paul would go to Jerusalem. Chapters 21 through 28 of the book of Acts tells us how he went through a series of trials that would lead him to his first imprisonment in Rome. You see, the church at Ephesus, we get a lot of history for about 40 years of, of the, the church, the, uh, a, a major church of proconsular Asia, a church that sent out missionaries. And we know that they started out just being established, uh, receiving a whole counsel of God, uh, as Paul would say to them. And then as he warned them that those false teachers are going to come in, apparently that happened because after Paul's first imprisonment, we know that he would establish Timothy as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And a major theme of 1 Timothy is that you are to establish the church once again in sound doctrine. And then Paul, before he's executed in his final and second imprisonment in Rome, he would write to Timothy again and just once again telling them they must continue in the scriptures. So here is this church that we get a little bit of history for about 40 years, uh, from about 55 to 95 AD, when John is writing to this church. Again, it is believed, historians, that he was pastoring there in Ephesus uh, before he was exiled to the church uh, or exiled to the island of Patmos. Keep in mind that John's the apostle of love, and he would speak in his epistles about what? Loving others. So here's this letter that's being written. John is dictating this letter as Jesus turns to the church at Ephesus 
And the reason that this is so personal to me is because as a church, it was 27 years ago, over 27 years ago, that Sue and I came up to start Calvary Chapel Greeley. We started in January of 1996 with two small kids. One of those small kids, one years old, is leading worship this morning. And we're so grateful and thankful for what the Lord has done over these years and what a privilege it has been to be the pastor of this church. And the first Sunday that we had was actually the first Sunday in June of 1996. So this is kind of an anniversary for us. Uh, We're getting close to 30 years. We're in our 28th year of ministry uh, again. And I think about this. What would the Lord say to Calvary Chapel Greeley if he was to write us a letter? What would he say to us? And in these churches, he would commend them at certain times, and then he would rebuke them at certain times. But I think that the Lord put this on my heart, the church at Ephesus, because there's a very important application to be made and a consideration as we go to the Lord here this morning. So let's begin to look at this, what he has to say as he says to the angel to the church at Ephesus or to Angelos, to perhaps the pastor is what it's speaking of, that these things says he who holds seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of seven golden lampstands. I know your works and your labor and your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary." So a list of good things is he begins saying, I know your works. He will say that to each of the churches. He, he knows their works. He knows the work that has been done here at Calvary Chapel, and he knows the work that you do. And that's good news because sometimes we can think, and even I can think as, as the pastor, Lord, do you see what it is that we're doing? Do you see what I am doing? Living for you, serving for you, works. It's the Greek word where actually we get the word energy. He knows the energy that you and I put into serving him, living for him, because whatever state that you're in and where God has placed you in this season, perhaps right now it's, it's ministering to your kids and raising them up in the ways of the Lord. Maybe it's ministering to your elderly parents. Maybe you're involved in a ministry somewhere outside these four walls. Uh, Guys, you're working hard to provide for your family because we are told to do all things as unto the Lord. That is your ministry. All of us have a ministry when we leave this place and you are entering into your missionary field. Uh, It's, you know, discipling others. It's Whatever that you are doing for the Lord, you do it all for him. And he sees what it is that you're doing. And he says, I know your labor. I know your labor. In some translations, it reads toil. It means laboring to the point of exhaustion. I see your toil, your labor. They were a busy church. They were a working church in a tough place to minister. And God does look for workers. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I want to remind this Calvary Chapel that there's a harvest out there, especially in the day in which we are in. And he's looking for laborers to go out into the harvest and, and to give the good news, the, the hope, the only hope that there is to people, and that is Jesus Christ loves you and died for you and, and died for your sins, and he rose again. And he is the source of forgiveness and eternal life. It's not found in anyone else, nothing else. So he desires to use those 
who are willing to be used of him. I think about how he used those mightily in the scriptures, how he, he would use Moses, who was called, he was herding his father-in-law sheep on the backside of the desert. When David was called, he was out with the sheep, and they were both great shepherds to the people of God. You have Elijah, who was plowing the 12 yokes of oxen when he was called to ministry. Peter and Andrew, they were casting their nets, and John and James were mending their nets. So he's looking for workers, and I so appreciate you. So many that came in this morning expecting to set up tents and chairs and tables, and we had to adjust last minute. Just be patient and willing to do that but all the workers that will follow after this service and in the next few days that that serve here faithfully and do it uh, because they desire to to serve others in love and desire to be a blessing to others so we are ones that that we can have opportunity to do that and i so appreciate those of you who also who are just living for the lord desiring to please the lord Serving him where God has placed you, to your family and to others that are linked to you in your life. So I want to remind us that, that maybe as you are doing that, you get weary, you get tired. And remember that Paul would write at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I remind the staff of this all the time, because we can get tired of ministry. We get tired in doing ministry. We don't get tired of ministry, but doing it. And he said, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So I know your works. I know your labor. And I know your patience. It means to bear up under pressure. These Christians here at Ephesus in the first century would be under tremendous pressure. There was persecution that was going on. And the Lord is still working patience in my life after many years of ministry. Remember Romans chapter 5 that we were told that we can glory in tribulation. And that word tribulation in chapter 5 of Romans can mean burden. Uh, So why should we glory in burdens? Because it produces patience. God works that patience in me. And as he's working that patience in me, I know that over time I get to see how God is going to work. And then Romans chapter 5 goes on to say that patience produces character. That is godly character. We want godly character worked out in our lives, don't we? James writes, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect. That word means mature and complete, lacking nothing. And then character produces hope because I can look back at God's faithfulness to me in the past and we can experience God's love and his mercy and his grace in a way that we otherwise would not have as we go through the tribulations of life. Listen, as we go through the tribulations of life, and Paul writes a lot about that in 2 Corinthians, it's not to tear us down but to build us up. It's not to make us bitter but to make us better. So he's writing here, and again, Jesus says to this church, I know your works, your labors, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. Uh, You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Uh, A good thing to be known for. They stood on the truth of God's word. And again, when Paul warned them, he warned them about those, those false teachers that would come into the church. He would establish Timothy after his first imprisonment, uh, some uh, time after he was released, to establish that sound doctrine. So apparently, Timothy's ministry was very effective because here they are, 
At this time, they are pointing out those who are false. Um, the church today, it is important that we always stand on the truth of God's word. Amen? That I pray for us that we would do that as we continue, as the Lord tarries, that we would say God's word is true. The faithful church, the church of Philadelphia, that they were known because he says you got a little bit of strength. Your strength is in me and that you have not denied my name and you stood fast for my word and that we would do the same thing. That's what makes us strong. That's what makes us strong spiritually is that we stand on the truth of God's word. There's a lot of voices that are out there. I don't need to tell you that. The early church was dealing with them. We've seen that. The Judaizers, the Gnostics. And then John, of course, would write, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we need to be discerning in the day in which we are in. In Second uh, Thessalonians, uh, Paul would speak about there's going to be a time of a falling away, apostasy. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that in the latter time some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so he says, you've stood for the truth. You pointed out those who are liars. And you and I are to do the same thing, and we as a church. And as he continues addressing them, Jesus says, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, have not become weary. What can happen in, to us, any of us? in living for the Lord and serving the Lord as after time we get weary and what we do is we begin to pull back and we stop you know serving we, we stop doing other things having devotion being with God's people Paul was addressing again those Ephesian elders and as he addressed them in Acts chapter 20 he said take heed to yourselves and then minister to the flock of God so for all of us, I know that I'm redundant in this, but I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles every day. Have your devotion time. Spend time with the Lord. Be cultivating that deep personal relationship and closeness with the Lord. He wants to spend time with you. And that he, in those times that we become weary, will strengthen you and hold you up. And I need that. Jesus commends them. They were a busy church like we're a busy church. A lot of busy Christians there. It was a church that served. It was a church that had sacrificed, separated themselves from those who were false. You've stayed with the task, Jesus says. You kept the truth. You point out those who are false. You have labored. You have patience. You haven't become weary. You're doing well in these things, but verse 4, mark it. But he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. You've left your first love. Not that you lost it. You've left it. And this can happen to a church, and this can happen to an individual. It can happen while we're so busy doing ministry. We're busy for the Lord. You get busy with the cares of life. You get busy in raising a family. You get busy at work and with uh, your business, whatever the case may be. And over time, your love for the Lord begins to get cold and distance. And it's interesting as Jesus is saying this to this church, and here's John. He, he's writing this down 
what Jesus is saying, and I wonder what he thought when he said, you've left your first love. I think it grieved John deeply because many scholars believe that he was pastoring the church at this time. And John was known as what? The apostle of love. You've left your first love. You're doing well in all these other areas. You're standing for truth, but you've left your first love. You've left it. I remember when I heard this several years ago, it hit me once again, even though I had read it, like uh, getting hit right between the eyes. Because I grew up, you know, my dad taught me that work is good, and he worked hard very, very good every single day, and I was thankful for that. And I thought if I just work harder than everybody else in ministry and labor, then I'll gain God's approval then he'll bless the ministry. Everything will be well because, you know, we're working hard and we deserve it. But I was missing out on the grace and his love. And it's like, Jeff, you've, you've left your first love. You need to get back to it. And what do we do? And this is an important word, it really, in the honesty of your hearts here this morning. It's between you and the Lord. Can you say, you know, I understand. I get so busy with life and the cares of life or even ministry that I've left my first love. What is it that we do when we come to that place? Well, verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Listen, you can be sound doctrinally. But if you don't have that love for Christ, you're not going to be a light for Christ. And Jesus will not stay in a church where there is no love for him. He won't be perceived in a church where there is no love for him. He says, remember, therefore, from which you have fallen. Do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? And maybe you raised a Christian from a, a youth, and what a tremendous blessing you had parents that, that taught you the gospel from the time that you can remember. But for many of us, we didn't come to the Lord till later on in life. Do you remember what that was like? I remember when I first came to the Lord, I felt alive for the very first time. I had gone to church. My parents took me to church all my life, but I didn't know the gospel. And when I heard about it, when I was hearing the word of God at a Calvary chapel, out of Matthew's gospel, all I kept thinking was the love of God, the love of God, that he would love me. And he would die for me, Jesus. And when I understood it, I was so amazed at his incredible love and grace for me. I felt alive for the very first time. I didn't realize how dead I was. And everything looked different. And instantly there was a, a different heart that I had. Well, I've had to do a lot of growing. I've had to grow spiritually in a lot of ways. And he's still working in me. But I couldn't wait to read the Bible. I couldn't wait to hear Bible teaching. I couldn't wait to be in church. I used to sit on the steps and be the first one there before anybody else got there. Finally, they said, hey, since you're here all the time so early, why don't you sweep the sidewalk or something? You know, do something. I couldn't wait. Remember what it was like. The second R, he says, repent. 
recognize that because the trials of life and the cares of life weigh us down, they can take us away from our first love. And he says, repent. Do you realize, repent's not a word that we hear a lot in the church today, but it's part of the gospel message. Repent, turn to Jesus Christ. Repent from the direction you're going. Turn to Jesus. Repent from your sins. Repent from your attitudes. And it's a very wonderful word because we can do that. The Lord didn't say to me when he was speaking this this to me several years ago, Jeff, you're, you're drifting away. Your love's becoming cold for me. You're busy. You're doing a lot of good things. He didn't say, forget you. He said, repent. Come back to me. And if he's speaking that to you today, with open arms, he receives you. Change direction. Come back. Return. Do the first works. What was it that you were doing when you first got saved? Were you having devotions? Were you praying? Were you coming and worshiping the Lord, but over time, nah, I don't need to be worshiping. I'll take in a Bible study once in a while. I don't need to have devotions anymore. I don't really need to be leading my family spiritually in the things of the Lord. You begin to drift away. Hebrews warns against that. What were you doing when you first got saved? I think about Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha. You know the account there, that Jesus is at their home. And Martha's in the kitchen, and she's busy and, and making dinner. And there's Mary that is at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets very upset and says, tell my sister to get in here and help me. And it was Jesus that said, Martha, Martha. Whenever Jesus says your name twice, you know you're going to get corrected. <laughs> he would say, Simon, Simon. <laughs> Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away. And in that account, it's not telling us that Martha's are bad and Mary's are good. Serving the Lord is very, very important. Martha's are very, very important. I'm more wired like a Martha. We have very, uh, a lot of Martha's around here that are willing to roll up their sleeves and help. But you see, Jesus is telling us something that he wants more than our service. He wants our devotion for us to sit at his feet and to know him and to love him, to learn of him. And I know that he's spoken to me many times. Jeff, I'm not concerned about your busyness. I want to spend time with you. I want to speak to you. And I just picture Martha, you know, the pots clanging, water boiling, all uptight. And I've been there a thousand times. And the Lord says, come. Remember on that hillside that he said, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me. And I will give you rest. To be able to sit at his feet and to learn of him. You know, it's going to stop raining here sometime. It's going to start drying up. It's a beautiful time of the year, so get out with the Lord. Take your Bible and a pad. I've I've said this many times. Say, Lord, I just want to spend some time with you. 
And I know that the Lord is teaching me there's always something to do. There's always phone calls to make and emails to send out, study to do, meetings that I have. But I want to spend time with you, Jeff. And I'm going to start my day with you, Lord. I'm not going to come here until I do. And I want to finish my day with you. And I just want to learn of you. And my prayer is, Lord, help me to finish strong in whatever years I have left. But the most important thing is to love you and to know you. Serving you is important. I'm going to continue to do that with your help. But I don't want to leave my first love. So he says, remember, repent, return, the three R's. You can write that down in your Bible, in your notes. And then I add a fourth, not to add to the scriptures. But a fourth R is remain there. Remain there. But this you have, verse 6, that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Nico means the conquest, victory, you know. Buy a pair of Nikes, Air Jordans, and you'll have victory. You'll make the shot. You'll be able to slam dunk, conquer everybody. That's where that word Nike comes from. Nico means the conquest. Laos means laity. It means having just... um, it means people, the people of the church. The deeds of the Nicolaitans was to put a clergy, a minister, a priest, whoever it might be, to rule over the people. A lot of times people say, Pastor Jeff, you need to call this person and tell them to do this. Or you need to set them straight or whatever. Listen, I'm not here to rule over you. I'm here to be a helper of your joy. And that's what we're to be about, to be a helper of their joys, to point them to the wonderful counselor, the one who can help them, the one who's going to strengthen them and change their hearts. We hear a lot about counseling today. It's, it's important. But my counsel to you is going to be the word of God over the pulpit. My counsel to you is going to be through prayer. My counsel to you is going to be to be a helper of your joys. There's a lot of movements that we're seeing today of so-so prayer and you got to have a mediator and all of this. We have access to him directly. Go to him. You feeling burdened, down, confused? Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. It's the invitation. He invites us to go to him. And to sit at his feet and to learn of him. I really believe the great need in the church today for my life is to sit at his feet and to learn of Jesus Christ. To learn of him, to learn of the word of God, and just be submitted to him in the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you. These are very important words that are given to us. We could spend time, a lot of time looking at this. But, Lord, this morning, I thank you for just, for us being here, the patience of everyone. And, Lord, we do look forward to the next three days and days after that. But we do pray for this children's festival that you would work in a powerful, mighty way through the hearts of the kids. We know that the gospel is that a child can receive it. And so, Lord, we pray that salvation would come. 
that parents or others would bring their children to the outreach. And Lord, I, I just thank you for all those who are going to be serving in so many different ways. Pray the weather would hold out. And Lord, we're looking forward to you working. Lord, I lift this church up to you. I pray that we would always stand for truth and that we would not leave our first love because I know that then we're not going to be a light. And in a world that's getting darker, we want to be a light, like a light on a hill that shines forth the light and love of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. The gospel message, which is the hope to the world. I do want to give that hope. If you're here and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, that he came and died for you because of his love for you, to die for your sins. So the gospel is the wages of sin is death. For you to repent, quit going the direction you're going, turn to Jesus, confess you are a sinner. And then call out on the name of the Lord for forgiveness, believing that he rose from the grave and that he is the son of God. You can do that right now because today is the day of salvation. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. You rose again and you're the son of God. So I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior, that I might know you and sit at your feet. And I thank you for this new beginning. And bring me into the family of God. But I want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. So, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for Calvary Chapel Greeley. May we, in these last days, honor you in everything that we do. And so, Lord, we're very grateful for the family you've put together. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? You know, I was thinking about this, that... You realize that 28 years ago, there was no Calvary Chapel Greeley. Look what he's done and what he wants to continue to do. We're going to close it here. we got a prayer team that's going to come up. And if you need prayer, if the Lord's touched you or you need prayer for anything, please come forward. we got time um, for you to receive prayer. We want you to come up and, and be prayed for. I want to just give you a, a, just a blessing before you go. That may the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. You should go your way. Again, if you need prayer, please come up for prayer.